0: Welcome to Dead Pilot Society, the show that takes comedy pilots from A list writers that were sold and developed at networks and streamers but never produced and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. I'm Andrew Reich, the creator and host of Dead Pilot Society. Hey, if there are any Dead Pilot Society listeners in Austin, Texas, come check out the documentary I produced and directed. It's called Born Innocent The Red Cross Story. And it is playing at the Austin Film Society on December 7th at 7 o'clock. That's Red Cross the band, not the international uh, organization. Uh, The film just won the jury award for the best feature at the Sound Unseen Festival in Minneapolis. It's a good time. Uh, Should be more screenings coming soon. I'll let people know about those. All right, enough self-promotion. On to the episode. This is the after show for Sam in Retrograde featuring my interview with Sam Jarvis. You know, there are occasionally times where I fall into that trap of the veteran TV writer comparing the business now with how it was when I got started and wondering why people still even want to get into TV writing. And that's why it's so great to talk to younger writers like Sam. She's so excited and in love with being a television and film writer in this moment. That it makes all of my jadedness disappear. And there's really, there's no point in being jaded anyway. There's great writing to be done, whatever the state of the business. Uh, this was a really fun conversation. We talk about the germ of the idea for the show, why she named the character after herself, even though her husband, unlike the husband in the show, is very much alive. We talk about her being the only woman in a writer's room, about the really unique workplace of her years at O. And we also talk about how she really, truly, honestly writes every day. And despite that, I don't hate her. So here's my conversation with Sam Jarvis after a brief message folks we get it keeping up with an actual play podcast in this economy is a tough sell that's why we have great news for you the adventure zone is changing up its format we're going to be doing some shorter seasons more experimental stuff there's never been a better time to get on board the zone and if you're sick of listening to our voices we get that too so we're including some guests Uh, on this upcoming one we've got kate welch and gabe hicks who are incredible and you want us to try some new games? You got it. We've got the new Marvel Multiverse RPG. We're using that and with a really brilliant GM doing it. It's Dad. What he's saying is it's it. Dad. Dad so is doing it. It's Dad yeah. doing it. You can listen every Thursday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Gosh, it's it's the strike's over. Both strikes. I
1: mean, all of crazy. your
0: uni- All of your unions are no longer on strike.
1: All of the unions. It's very exciting.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I know yesterday was such a active, the last three days, really, I feel like everybody I talked to was just like, oh, it's it's ending today. And I was like, I actually don't think it is, but
0: <laughs> I know, you know, uh, we've just gotten so good at being cynical and assuming oh, yeah. that nothing good is going to happen. And it's just like, oh, wow, it actually, it actually ended.
1: I know my husband and I keep, we keep playing. Um, remember that clip from, I think it was from Going Clear from the Scientology thing where uh, they David Miscavige like goes onto stage and there's this whole there's like this crazy thing where they keep flashing on this jumbotron like the war is over, the war is over. And the whole there's a whole arena of like Scientologists like screaming and cheering. And it's like it's a great clip, but both times that these uh unions, the the strike has ended, we just like parade around the house going, the war is over. (laughs) It's, (laughs) It's very stupid of us. But
0: um, so your your husband, I'm gonna just like I'm just so curious about this, so I'm segueing right into this. Your yeah. husband then is alive.
1: He's alive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um yeah, um, when we took this out, it was a very common question of people being like like they had like a sort of sad look on their face of like, so is this? <laughs> um, which I totally I get is coming from me because I had named the character after myself. Yes. um, my husband is alive, although, yeah, the the way that the pilot came to be, is because I used to write on Tosh.0. He used to work at Tosh.0. That's how we met. And he's now Daniel's tour manager. And in January of 2020, which is so crazy to think back on, they were on tour in Australia. They did a tour. I couldn't go because I was writing on a TV show at the time. And I just felt like there were fires in Australia. There were, it was a very long distance away. There was a lot of small planes. Like, I don't know why I became like convinced that he was going to die on this trip. <laughs> I'm, I'm like most writers, high functioning anxiety. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. I just, I was just like, Oh, he's definitely going to like die on this trip. And I'm going to be like, you know, in my early thirties and I'm going to be a widow. And like, what is, what would happen And then as I started thinking about that, I was like, what actually would happen to me? Because you know, part of this pilot weirdly is, even though it's completely fictional, is like weirdly the most sort of personal thing I've ever written because of lots of things. But, you know, I, I don't personally like believe in god or ghosts or an afterlife or any of that so it is interesting to just sort of think of like if you didn't believe in your ability to like pray to someone or talk to someone like how would you talk to them and i feel like i somewhere in there decided that you'd maybe make a physical like a practical way to talk to them in the real world um and then my i took favorite. one of my friends from college out to dinner who's a psychiatrist and ran it all by her and she said that's totally plausible <laughs> so <laughs> that's okay. how this idea came to be and I, then I, of course like my husband had to come back from this trip to australia and be like how was home and i was like great so i'm like starting on this new idea um and then i had to tell him that it's about a girl named sam whose husband dies <laughs> and he was like oh okay so you know
0: <laughs> i i think it is just that that the character is named Sam. Cause I do think I, I've talked about this thing where people assume female writers are more likely to write autobiography than they assume that of male writers. It's this like sexist mm-hmm. thing yeah. where people think, I don't know, women aren't capable of making stuff up. So everyone just assumes when they, when women are writing yeah. things, Oh, it must be basically the truth. And so I, you know, I was like, was I sort of doing, I mean, I kind of knew your husband we wasn't, wasn't dead, but I think it's because you named the character after yourself that yes. it's more Which, understandable that people might think that this was a
1: hundred percent. And it's, I mean, I've never like named a character after myself before I'm not like a raging narcissist. <laughs> um, But the reason why I did it with this one was because it was like in a lot of ways I was like I think the character of Sam although she's really different from me there's something about like my maybe inner core person who relates to her a lot and even just little things like you know the fact that she sells vintage jewelry on Instagram like I'm a purchaser of vintage gold jewelry on Instagram and (laughs) I actually do know a lot about that world and like the world of estate sales and jewelry and That stuff and you know I also just thought that was kind of a cool way to connect the theme of what we leave behind in death I think jewelry is a really common thing that people leave and that has kind of like history and stuff so there were a lot of reasons why I decided to name that character Sam the main one is that although I don't um act a lot this was one of those projects where i was like maybe i will pitch this as me playing this person because the okay. only thing i've written in 10 15 years where i'm like oh i am this person like i can be this person um so i just left it as sam in right. case um i, I
0: realized that we never even sort of we never really talked about that of you for the read i know i i
1: I thought about it later and you know what? Katie was amazing. And Katie was amazing. And And I think there is something
0: I will say that at least, you know, this way you get to sort of enjoy just watching your script being read. Whereas if you're reading the lead, that's all you're focused on.
1: No, it was so amazing to like actually just hear it out loud. So that was much more fun.
0: So, what else? Do you have an elaborate skincare routine? Are these your versions of your parents? Like what Um, else? I
1: do have an elaborate skincare routine. Those are not my parents. (laughs) So, you know, there's there's so much fiction to to the show, but you know, I think the core thing is her belief system, her you know, one of my girlfriends had said, she was like, Oh my gosh, if your husband did die, you would do some shit like this. You would be like weird and crazy and something (laughs) would happen. (laughs) I always say, and I'm sure this is not true, but I always tell my husband that I'm like, if you were to die, I just don't, I just don't think I would get remarried. Like I wouldn't like have another life and another thing. I think I really would just like throw myself into my work And just write all day, every day and like write books and just be alone. And like, I think, I think that's what I would do. (laughs) A lot of people find that odd.
0: (laughs) And carry around his urn, of course. Yeah.
1: I mean, I don't know. Something Mm. like that. Might as well, might as well get weird with it.
0: (laughs) What was Ben the dead husband's role Going to be going forward. How are you imagining how much we were seeing flashbacks? How yeah. When when she's having these conversations with his remains, is it always a one-sided conversation? Like, how were you seeing that work?
1: Yes. So we I definitely wanted it to be the urn never moves, we never hear it talk. Like this show (laughs) is not Harry Potter. Like, um, I always wanted it to be from her side, but basically from her side of the conversation. Uh, you actually can sort of tell what they're talking about. I did sort of some exercises, writing some scenes and writing scenes between two people and then like deleting all of his lines and seeing if you could still understand it and give her more of the details and all that stuff. And you actually can understand a conversation. So that was the plan for the show. And then we wanted to show flashbacks throughout the season and throughout the series, but only in moments where it was really like emotionally heavy for her where it made sense like I I want their I wanted their relationship like the main love story of season one is between Sam and this urn it's not between like her and a flashback of her husband, you know um so only in like the really emotionally charged moments where we gonna show flashbacks so probably not even one per episode, maybe a handful of them in a season.
0: But what does that really mean? Like the love affairs between her and this unresponsive urn?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I think weirdly, that's that's like part of what intrigued me about this idea so much is that I do think you can show over the course of a season, someone that's like, having a good time in a good marriage. Like obviously she's in very, very strong denial. Um, But the plan was to over the course of the first season show kind of cracks in their relationship. And maybe she's remembering some things a little bit, you know, everybody has like a little bit of revisionist history when it comes to past relationships. And I think through the course of the first season, I wanted her to Yeah, for them to have some cracks in their relationship that then lead to a place where at the end of season one, she's emotionally ready to sort of let him go and actually move on. So the back half of the season and in our pitch was she and the urn like start fighting and (laughs) there... You know, so if you thought the pilot was strange, it was going (laughs) to dive into a level that you're not ready for.
0: Did you uh, I know we we talked on the picket line one day that you had a friend your age who this happened to. Yes. Did, Did it feel like you could relate like you had lived lived through this um, same kind of thing or were you not that deeply into this the it or felt like it had actually happened to you no
1: yeah <laughs> I mean I could not relate to it. it's one of those like great things I guess about what we do too is that you're like oh you try to write these real characters and these real emotions but also when it comes to like what would happen in real life it's so totally different you know what I mean so I think that that was really the what I what I took from my friend's situation was just like oh yeah, no, it doesn't actually. Wouldn't look like this at all, but you know.
0: <laughs> but it's a. TV but that's part show.
1: of movie magic. That's like part of the fun of it. It's like, you know, you don't want to watch a rom com where the girl has her period for four of the days. That's not interesting. You know what I mean? Like, a million things we kind of like gloss over in our industry to sure. make things. Uh, more
0: palatable <laughs> yeah especially a show that is about death in some yes. way and, and even, a like and...
1: dramedy a comedy you know yeah like, i think i think the tone is hopefully what makes this kind of special at least to me so
0: and how did that tone because it is a, it's a pretty unique tone that mm-hmm. i'm not sure how to des- describe really <laughs> other than i've f- you know Oh, in, intensely realist uh, you know uh, in mm-hmm. lots of moments and and not ever feeling like you're trying to reach for laughs or, or yeah anything like that you're just sort of let you know there's a lot of people really behaving um did you how did you arrive at that tone
1: um you know I it's funny My tone and like my voice in a lot of my writing is, I always say weird and people are like, that's not really the right word. But I think like, strangely, this pilot is one of the pieces of writing that I have that is very like, I could say like, that is my tone. That's my voice. That is the way that I write things. So I actually think that most of the things I write are strange in some Way like that, like a Pee Wee Herman impersonator is like very up my alley. That's like, oh, Sam Jarvis would totally write that. Um, so I think that that's just weirdly inherently the way that I write. I think that's why I tend to spec scripts, like in TV and features. You know, I've, I've pitched things before with without a script, but I just tend to to spec them because I think even something like this is like, yes, you can explain what that is but you can't really explain that tone very well so i end up having to write most of my strange little ideas um uh, so that uh, people can know what i'm talking about
0: i'm remembering the crazy timing of that Wee herman died the day of or the day after we did this read which was it was so,
1: so strange <laughs> just, just really shout out pour I, one out
0: i know um, um yeah. all right so let's back up to how you got into this crazy business in the first place
1: yes um so you I'm, are from i'm from chicago um there's always a big thing in chicago of like if you're suburbs or city i'm a city kid from chicago um i grew up singing on commercials and doing voiceovers. I don't know if we've talked about
0: this before. We we did. did. (laughs) Yeah. But not, but the listeners don't know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Okay. (laughs) Um, I grew up singing on commercials and doing voiceovers. My mom is a singer in Chicago. She's like a session singer and does a bunch of, uh, live performers. She's incredible. Um, my stepdad is an audio engineer and also a musician. So my house was like a music house. Um, and Yeah, sang on like McDonald's commercials and stuff. Um, Don't know if I'm allowed to say the, but I'm loving it. That's what I grew up singing as a child, um, which helped me pay for college, which was great. Um, Yeah. And basically in high school, I wrote a lot of short stories and I love that. And I always wanted to be an actress and an author, And I think when it came time to apply for colleges, I don't know why I thought like, I'm going to apply to some film schools and screenwriting sort of seemed like acting and being a novelist at the same time, which I kind of think is still true because I love writing, but it's like, you can sort of be all these people at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I ended up getting into USC and I went to USC's, um, I did their BFA screenwriting program so I was already in college, like thinking I wanted to do this. I hadn't figured out that I wanted to do comedy or TV. Like, you know, I'm going to perfectly date myself and say that I wanted to write the next Garden State. Um, that, was like, <laughs>
0: that is definitely perfectly dating you.
1: <laughs> it's like a moment in time that people will understand. Um, yeah. And then when I graduated from college, I took a couple years off of screenwriting. I tried to be a pop singer, which is very cool. It worked (laughs) amazingly. As you know, I'm famous (laughs) for my bops. (laughs) Um, No, Um, my friends from college occasionally will sing my songs at me, which I think is really great and really humbling.
0: Did you put out a record
1: i didn't put out a record i had songs it was like also this weird time of like yeah, i think
0: so i what, missed the boat on
1: technology it? of like where
0: were you putting those things That was it like myspace was it like where
1: um if,
0: date us with what the site was that you would have put it wasn't I definitely band soundcloud like ba-
1: Bandcamp, camp soundcloud yes i definitely had like a facebook page Yes, um, okay. I think that I was like in a bad timing in that of it was like before, obviously, TikTok or Instagram or any of that. Honestly, it was a little bit before even like YouTube singers. I mean, I, I did upload like songs of me singing on YouTube, like playing guitar, <laughs> which is really some good footage Um, anyway. But <laughs> that did not lead me to this path. Finally, after a couple of years of that, I was like, what the fuck am I doing? And I ended up working at Tosh.0. I like listed all my favorite shows at the time. And I looked online and I found the names of all the people that wrote on them. And I tried to find everyone's email addresses and I basically cold emailed a bunch of writers. Um, I turns out I'm good at the internet, which is a thing that you need to be at Tosh.0. Yeah. So I cold emailed a bunch of uh tv writers and I wasn't like asking for a job I just was saying like can I take you to coffee drinks like I just want to hear like how you got into comedy television because like that's all I watch and I always thought it was really interesting at USC they had speakers all the time that would come and say their path and as I'm sure you're aware it's so frustrating in this industry to like listen to people tell you their path because you can't follow their path because like every yeah. path is so different that it's like interesting to hear it's not at all helpful to anyone <laughs> you know it's like um uh,
0: yeah i mean maybe i always ask people because i find it fascinating no, it's interesting. and also because yes. it's like maybe one of these things gives you a way to start yes. down a path which won't exactly follow theirs but maybe right. gets you to the same place somehow yeah
1: 100 percent. and i did not know like how to get into this industry at all i think like the film school now usc is a lot different than it even was then even five years later, I, I know a girl who like, you know, had a comedy concentration and they shot a pilot and I, I you know, that was not available when I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I emailed a bunch of people and one person wrote me back. It was the head writer of Tosh and he agreed to get drinks and we just like became friends. And maybe six months later they were looking for a blogger how many times will I date myself in this conversation? <laughs> Remember blogs? Blogs are a thing. The Tosh.0 blog was actually a thing. It was very popular. Sure. And... I think a lot
0: of people got in with jobs like that. Yeah. That
1: and I ended up getting that job and I worked my way up at Tosh. I was a blogger and then I was a writer's assistant. And then I was a writer in the last few years that I was there. I was In there... case
0: people don't know, because yeah. it's possible, people listening, mm-hmm. can you explain what Tosh.0 is? Tosh.0
1: O was an internet clip show that ran from 2009. It went for 12 seasons from 2009 to 2020. Um, and yeah, Daniel Tosh is the host of the show. He's a comedian and he makes jokes. We You watch internet videos. He says jokes about them. There's like sketches, a lot of like sketch comedy involved. Um, And it was just like, to me, a great, place to come up. You know, I, first of all, what shows last long enough? I was there for six and a half years. Like how can you possibly stay somewhere (laughs) long enough to become a writer somewhere? Um, But also I just think as someone who wanted to do comedy, it's like, you know, I say this all the time. There's, it was, there's no better place to become a better joke writer. That's all we did all day was, you know, you write a hundred jokes a day and you also get to produce your sketches, you know, it's kind of like SNL like that, where it's like, if you're writing that, that bit, you know, you're the one picking out the props and going to the concept meetings and doing all that stuff. And I love that. Um, I know some people didn't like that, but I sort of, I like to think that I'm chill in my personal life and perhaps a little type a in my professional life. (laughs) Um, so I like to be in control. I like to make choices. Those choices come very easily to me. Um, which how many probably, writers were there? Um, there were like nine.
0: Okay, and ten. and the show came out how often? Like
1: um, once a week. We once a
0: week. How many episodes a seat? Like a season? the
1: first few years I was there was thirty episodes a year, and then it went down to twenty. Um, so okay. it was like a year-round job. It was like fucking dream. Can I swear yeah. on this? I should yeah. stop. Um, no, that's fine. <laughs> um, no, it was a dream. It was great. We had like two hiatuses a year, and everything just kept kept going. But yeah, we would shoot an episode on Thursday nights and it would air the following Tuesday. So that was really fun too, because like you shoot an episode Thursday and then Friday you start working on the next one and you have five days. And um, they, they did a thing called a web redemption that was in act two that was, you know, Daniel would interview somebody and it would be a longer segment. And we shot all of those. We would do 10 of those at a time at the top of the season. So those were bigger shoots, but those were already shot, you know? So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, it was, it was a great place to work and get my feet wet. And, you know, I had the time to write a lot on my own too, you know, nothing motivates you like being an assistant. So when I was writer's assistant, I was like, started getting into the habit of writing every day. And I was just writing pilots and, you know, hustling and trying to make it all happen. And I think that was just a great place to do that, you know? And, and got so to you be on the, navig- the show, you know, you get, I got shocked with a dog collar, you know, you get, you always know it's going to be a bad day when the line producer comes up to you with a waiver that you have to sign. You're like, well, <laughs> cool. This is hate today. <laughs>
0: but, I think on IMDb, you're like third listed of uh, under like sure. stars of, of <laughs> Tosh.0, oh, I think. Well, um, you
1: know, I got saran wrapped to my coworkers when we were all wearing nudes and had ro- red paint thrown on me. I sang dress as a character from cats. Um, you know, I did a lot of things on Tosh by now, which was which was great. You know, I, when, I still get those residual checks.
0: And which is amazing. Which in is amazing. And, and so, so stupid. <laughs> was most of that great. stuff when you were an assistant or was that like once you had become a right? Uh, no, it was
1: throughout. It was throughout. Uh, the office at Tosh was not very big. You know, there was only like 30 of us really that were there. And, you know not a huge number of girls, as you can imagine. So yeah, no, I mean, my first week at Tosh as a blogger, I was in the show with Daniel in a sketch because they're like, I "Gotta put the new girl in, you know? So yeah, that's, that's how you kind of rack up a lot of episodes on that show.
0: And how was it navigating? Cause there's this tricky thing for writer's assistance. Cause it mm-hmm. is one of the most sort of straightforward paths to becoming a writer Figuring out when to pitch, how much to pitch as a writer's assistant without overstepping, but also making people see that you're capable of being a writer. Like, how was that for you?
1: Um, I I had a good experience with it. I think, not to brag about myself, I think (laughs) I have like a very good instinct for that. And I think that has really helped me a lot in my career, um, I work really, really hard. I'm, a, like I said, pretty type A. I will go above and beyond, like, and I think that I worked really hard. I typed really fast. And then in the beginning, like the first few months, I would like really wait until like, okay, everyone's pitched something, you know, they've all said no to all those things. Some people have tried us around two, and then I would really think like, oh, is this idea that I have? good enough to say out loud and like, you know, like you go through all that for sure. Um, but I think I very quickly felt comfortable and confident and, you know, I had been, you know, you, you get, you're allowed to like pitch some jokes and do some things, you know? So once you start getting stuff in the show more, I think it, it made me a lot more confident. Um, I don't know. You could ask the other guys and they could be like, she was a bitch. She talked all the time. Um, I don't think you
0: would have lasted as long as you did if that's. Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, yeah. yeah, I think it, it really did work out. And then I think I took a similar approach to my next jobs and stuff when I was a staff writer on a scripted show, that's like even more sort of can be more strict in terms of like, oh, you're the staff writer, you should talk less than the supervising producer or whatever. I never felt like that. Maybe because the shows were not like that when I was a lower level writer. The shows that I was on were not that environment, but... I feel like I was like always talking a lot and pitching a lot of things when I was a staff writer. <laughs> and maybe I shouldn't have, but I'm like, they're, you know, look, if they're getting in the show, then like, yeah, I'm gonna keep talking. So right.
0: It's just if you're pitching a lot and none of it's going in. Right. And like the that's problem. the thing is
1: like I have, you know, we've all been in those situations where a writer's assistant or a lower level person is trying to get in there and pitching, but then like has you just have to have the awareness of like, am I talking too much? Is this landing? Is this not? And I don't know how you teach that to someone. Like I.
0: Yeah. It's either you have a clue, like a clue, like a clue right. is necessary and yes. people that don't have a clue, it's just so bad. Cause there's just, there's, and I, mean, often I, don't, what, I don't know
1: what you would say. Like, what would you yeah. say to that person? I have no idea what to tell you. <laughs>
0: yeah. I've had to do um, it. I've had, yeah. I have had to do it. Uh, and it's, it's hard, not but fun.
1: I think yeah. a big skill in our industry is knowing when to speak up and knowing when to shut up. <laughs> and yeah. that's, those it's are huge. tough to teach. So <laughs>
0: no, it's one you of know. the things when you're interviewing writers, you're that you're trying to sense, like, does this person have that kind of clue? You I mean, know, I can't or,
1: imagine you guys and you interviewing a writer and then on one script or one meeting being like, yeah, I totally want to sit in a room with this person for 10 hours a day for a year.
0: <laughs> like, and that is what you're trying to figure out from a one meeting. It's, oh it's, it's really scary. But it's like,
1: think of every job you've ever had, like not even in this industry, any job ever. It's like you walk in and you're like, oh, this person's cool. And then immediately a month later, you're like, I fucking hate that person. Or you think like, <laughs> oh, I don't really like this person. And then that's your best friend. <laughs> like,
0: yeah. I know everyone thinks, oh no, your first impression is is usually right. No, not. not I always. feel like first,
1: second, third <laughs> is really up in the air.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, so how did you make the transition? Like, why why did you leave? What did you move on to? How yeah. did that work?
1: Um, I wanted to do scripted. I think I didn't realize when I started at Tosh, how how different that was than a scripted TV show. I mean, I was like twenty four, 23, whatever. I didn't know anything. Um, so I didn't realize that Tosh Porno is sort of in that like late night category. I didn't realize that all the writers on Tosh are staff writers and you know, it, it is more like a late night show and that I didn't realize that that jump was going to be so difficult because a lot of people are like, Oh, well you write jokes, but like, do you know anything about characters? And you're like, yes. Like (laughs) (laughs) what? Um, so I've always laughed that like many steps, probably every step in this industry, but especially the the lower steps. You, every step is like the big step that's so hard to do, and then you do it. It's like you get the writer's assistant job, and then you're like, oh. Good luck becoming a writer. Then you become a writer, and then you're like, "Good luck getting on a scripted show." And I was just like, "How big are these steps?" <laughs> like, I, what's happening here? And when do um, they stop?
0: When do I stop having to do? Like, a when can I stop
1: steps? having these steps? Um, yeah, when I was at Tosh, I was writing a lot of pilots. I was writing every day. I got in the habit of writing every day. I'd come into work early. I would write during lunch. Um, I now, still, that's just a habit that I have now. I write every day, and I think writing all those pilots really just was like okay i need to get a job in scripted um i wrote a pilot that ended up getting me my agents that was called conquering the kardashians which is like a completely unproducible script about the kardashians and how they have a plot to take over the world um and it's it was the kardashians against um obama and taylor swift um So that got me agents because they were all like, this is unproducible, but you're (laughs) insane. So, (laughs) um, and then I ended up making the jump to scripted in such a weird way. Again, I'll tell you this path and it's like, you'll never be, it's not, you know, repeatable. Um, so USC the BFA program is really small a screenwriting program when i first had that orientation like i thought it was going to be like a couple hundred kids it's 25 kids per grade so nice. which is amazing and crazy and probably my greatest accomplishment to date is getting into that school but there uh the creator of dollface who is that's the show that I went to next is, um, a friend of mine named Jordan Weiss, and she's lovely and amazing. And she also was in the BFA program at USC. Um, albeit after me by a handful of years, we were not in college together at the same time, but when she graduated, they sort of pair you with a mentor. And so, because I was in comedy TV and she wanted to do comedy TV, I was paired with her as her mentor. Um, If any of you guys know of Jordan's career, she had meteoric rise, amazing, wrote a script, sold a show, sold Dollface with Kat Dennings and got a straight, straight series order. And it was like amazing. She was 24. And, but this whole time I'm like texting her the day of her pitches being like, you know, get it girl. You know, (laughs) I'm, and I guess as her mentor, my greatest thing was just me trying to say like, this just never happens and it's so amazing. and I like need you to understand like how much this doesn't happen because this is so incredible. I'm so excited for her and it's amazing. So when her show got a straight to series order, she was wonderful and said, hey, like you have been a great friend to me and a great mentor and someone who has like supported me this whole way through, which like I'm sure you know, a lot of writers in our industry know. It's really hard to be so supportive of your friends and genuinely happy of your friends when you see them bypass you and your dreams come true for them and like all this stuff. And I genuinely have been so happy and supportive of her. So she really fought for me uh, to be on staff at Dollface. So because she fought for me, I got that job. And got to leave Tosh. And, you know, everybody at Tosh. It was so supportive and wonderful. Daniel's always been really supportive of my career and everything. Um, so, yeah. Then I started writing on Dollface, which is that, great. That
0: is a path that no one will can follow.
1: Yeah. <laughs> just um, just left mental. Tosh. Barno on a Friday. Started Dollface on a Monday. Everyone was like, why didn't you take a couple weeks off? And I was like, didn't occur to me. Didn't know you could do that. <laughs> <laughs> You know,
0: <laughs> so that was really. I mean, you you'd written pilots, yeah, and so it wasn't like you're writing doll Dollface was the first time you're writing, you know, real.
1: No, yeah, scripted. I mean, even in college, it's like we had to write a pilot. You had to write a couple features. We had to, you know, I wrote a spec of The Office and I wrote a spec of House, you know, whatever. But yes, I had written a bunch of pilots by the time I started at Dollface. Yeah, I was like a firm believer of just like keep cranking which is sort of how I am now but I think it does make you a better writer it's like anything if you played piano every day for 10 years like I mean if I'm not a better writer now I should go back to Chicago
0: (laughs) (laughs) no it's so true and I think people just tend to want to wait till you know some people have a hard time just writing yeah Without deadlines, without anyone sort of asking for it. With the, totally. You know, or they'll write um, something and then they'll just spend the next year trying to sell that thing without writing anything else. Um, yeah.
1: I I write every day. And I know that writers listening to this will probably all groan and <laughs> hate hearing that. I do feel like I actually love the writing itself. I am a person that loves like rearranging words in a sentence. Like I fully am, am that person. Like even a big, horrible rewrite, big story notes, like, you know, I'll have a couple days where I'm just like in it. And you know, you're trying to like reorganize your room and it looks like a bomb went off and the script is totally fucked up. (laughs) Like, you know, but then you get through it and then the script is better. And I feel like I just, I'm obsessed with that feeling. So, um, is and there yeah, a certain just, number
0: of pages or do you just a certain number no. of hours? Do you have anything like that or you just? Um,
1: you know? No, I write better in the morning. So I usually like, you know, first thing in the morning, making my coffee, sit down on my computer, probably around like nine ish usually. And then it sort of depends. Like I like working on a lot of different projects at once. Like I never want so many things where I'm spread too thin where the work suffers from it. But I really like to do a lot of projects at once because I can kind of, you know, to your point, you send in a draft of something and then you're not just waiting for three weeks for someone to read it. I get to email it and then I get to like pull up my other thing and like work on that for a while. And You'd really be surprised how much how much you can actually get done if you do sit and write that amount. So I'll write from like nine in the morning until I don't know, like four ish wow. it depends. like i I think there's days where, you know, you get to sort of a natural stopping point. and then I realize that I'm just like on Twitter and I'm like, <laughs> oh okay, it's two thirty. I'm not gonna get back into something right now. I can be done. But then there's other times where I'm like, doing a first draft where I'm just trying to type and I can work till six or something. So, um, it just really depends.
0: It's impressive. I'm glad you said that because nobody says that.
1: Can I just say thank you to you for such a thoughtful interview?
0: Oh my God. Yeah. I think you nailed it. Bullseye interviews with creators you love and creators you need to know. Listen to the Bullseye podcast only from NPR and maximum fun. So was it really different in that getting into the dollface room compared to Tosh um, room, you know, where it's not just jokes and sketches sure. and-
1: it wasn't really, I don't think the actual like writing of the story or any of that I didn't find um difficult or crazy. I think like the big thing to me is, you know, you're in like more or less a boys' club at Tosh and you're writing for a very specific voice, and then Dollface was like you know, you're doing like dry shampoo jokes and like girl world, which is amazing. And so that was kind of like the funny thing to me. It was just like, I always say to people, I'm like, I swear, like, you know, someday I'll write a thing where the boys talk to the girls and, you know, <laughs> <it's>, like, <laughs> which, you know, they, they, we did that in both of those shows, but it is a funny thing, I think, to go from like more male humor, male perspective. At Tosh, the audience was predominantly male, and then to go to Dollface where the audience was predominantly female. I think that was to me funny. I was like, oh, I don't have to like convince you guys that, <laughs> you know, well, there was a time at Tosh where there was a picture of a a pad, there was an ad for something on the screen and somebody thought it was a tampon. And I was like, this is crazy that you think that a pad is a tampon. You know, it's just like those things. i right? just like, that's nice. I don't have to explain that to this writer's room because these are mostly girls. So were you, that
0: nice. but were you the only woman in that Tosh room? or Um,
1: there were, I was the only female writer for several seasons. Yes. Um, at the time we did have a female writer's assistant, when I was a writer's assistant, um, they had another female writer. So there was like a handful of girls there who were writers and getting jokes in the show and all that. But um yes <laughs> to answer your question.
0: And it was but it and was great. It was great.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know. I had a good time there. I think again, it just really was a great place to like hone those skills and do all that. And Daniel's a good good friend of mine. To this day, so i i had a i had a good experience there. To be honest,
0: um, what are these other? What's dirt? Oh, <laughs> what was that?
1: That was. And there's a... another
0: show on your IMDb page. As I was uh, like, sc- sc- scroll, oh. scroll, wheel of Look, time. Man,
1: you take work where you can get it, my man. I just um, want to know, like, <laughs>
0: what the? I don't know what those things are. Uh
1: dirt was a web series. Okay. That I wrote. Um. <laughs> a company whose name is escaping me. Uh, (laughs) I was working at Tosh. I think it was a writer's assistant and they were like five or 10 minute episodes and they'd pay you per episode. And it was like a little, you know, low budget thing. Weirdly enough, like whatever that company was, the shows that they did on YouTube would get like hundreds of millions of views. (laughs) So what's funny is that like it was such a random job that I took like in my mid-20s just to write something and meet new people. And I'm like, it's probably the thing that's actually been <laughs> watched the most well, um, that's of wild. everything. And then, okay, so the other thing that is on my IMDb, which is Scroll Wheel of Time, that was actually a really fun project. That was like a, I guess it was a web series. It was for an app, but they were doing like an interactive... Um, like choose your own adventure series, which was kind of cool. Um, Paul Shear was an EP on it, and he's awesome. And it got to work with him. And yeah, it was just that was so fascinating being in a writer's room writing like a choose your own adventure thing. As you can imagine, yeah. those scripts, like. Get so maddening because every you know, there's like five choices per script, so then by the end, you have like 12 or 20 endings to each episode. So, like, the script would be like, go to you know, scene 20b, like C, D, E. Oh so and much like plot. It was so <laughs> much plot, it was so crazy, um, really hard, but also just like, I mean, you know, I wouldn't want to like do that every day, but. It was a quick, it was like a month-long gig or right. something. And, so yeah,
0: and you look you like a challenge. It seems like yeah. you like trying something new. You wrote a you have written a, a book or books, yeah. multiple books, yeah. book, book, singular, plural I'm, at this point.
1: I'm writing a second <laughs> one right now and it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> they are long. Yeah. <laughs> books. Those things are long. <laughs> um uh, yeah, I like a challenge. I like doing new things and you know, every like hard thing weirdly makes you appreciate the other things so much more. Like to me, yes, like writing a, my first novel was by far the hardest thing I've ever done professionally. And it's made my, you know, I've, I've had some good, good success in features lately. And like, doing writing movies now, like coming from TV, I was in writer's rooms for 10 years straight in TV. And so to me, it was like, I'm like every TV writer. I was like a movie, meh, so many pages. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, But now it's like, once you've written a, a book, like getting big story notes on a manuscript for a novel is that soul crushing, <laughs> like that will break, will break you. Whereas now like, with a feature, I'm like, oh, I can get big rewrite notes on a feature, and I'm used to it now. So it's like, oh, that's not a big deal. That's not that long. So and, I think that's that's half, been the most helpful.
0: And half hour's got to be like
1: half this. hour is crazy. <laughs> like now that I've like, I'm I'm writing a a new pilot right now or finishing a new pilot, and it's very funny because yeah, it's like you do these like rewrites, and you're like, well, that took one day. Like, that's crazy you know <laughs> but i do think you know like having the tv experience as you, as i've kind of done features too has been really helpful because tv writers are like so much less precious about things you know until you're like in a writers room and you watch someone highlight you know three pages and hit delete <laughs> you <Yeah>. know it's <laughs> like now as a feature writer it's nice cuz then they're like oh do you do you mind if we lose this? I'm like, yeah, it's gone. Delete. Don't worry about it. Yeah. What's up? (laughs) You know, um, you can't like break my heart is what I'm saying. My heart's been broken enough times. You can't break it.
0: (laughs) It is the best thing about, you know, TV training is like, you just don't have time for that. No, You you know, especially, you know, you're on a show that's in production it's yeah. just like you gotta you know churn them out it's like being a newspaper reporter or something it's just like there's another newspaper coming out the next day we're gonna get this as good as we can get it yeah and then we're gonna move on and
1: yeah it's uh, also funny to me well, too in 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 both TV and features it's like the amount of times that people you know and, and I've been very lucky worked with some really great execs and great people like but the amount of times that people like want a draft so perfect and you're like I know why people want it perfect because you want to try to get the best people and you want everything to have the best shot but you're also like I have watched someone (laughs) like rewrite an entire scene an entire act standing on the set no one reads it no one double checks it they just shoot it like it's (laughs) yeah so you're like oh you see how much up until like the moment they are recording a take, things change, you know.
0: Yeah. Was there a lot of that on Dollface? Was that
1: no, there wasn't a lot of that. Um I think there were like, you know, joke alts and stuff like yeah. that. But um I don't think a lot of that stuff changed, um changed on set. But
0: um how were you writing? I know we sort of talked about this a bit, but were you writing during the strike, were you able to be productive? Um,
1: I was able to be productive, yes. Obviously, all of my, you know, guild-covered work stopped.
0: Right. Um, no, I'm just saying because I'm
1: not a fucking. I, yeah, I, I know.
0: Um, I, I'm not no, to, but yes, it's not entrapment.
1: <laughs> um, but yes, I was able to. I wrote a i I wrote a spec feature on my own. Um, which you know, was something to be fair, like the people that have asked me this, I'm like, yeah, I wrote a movie and then they're all like, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did have like the outline for it. I had been working on since the beginning of last year. So I had in the spring an outline that was pretty well fleshed out. And so I kind of took the last couple months before the strike and was working on kind of, um, you know, my other like paid real work and projects and, you know, getting all that however good it could be before the strike and everything. So um, yeah, by the time the strike happened, I had a full outline that was just like ready to go. There was part of me that had always been like, well, I could just pitch this idea. I don't need to write this thing right now. But then the strike happened. And so it was just like, well,
0: well what else am
1: I doing? Yeah, I really thought, you know, I knew that in my mind, because I'm a savant, I always (laughs) felt like this strike was going to last till September. Um, and I was like, I just, for some reason, we've talked about this a million times. Like, I just thought that it was going to be September. Um, so I was like, you know, that's really not that much time because think about how long it takes a deal to close. Like, you get a deal, like, a deal takes like five months to close sometimes, you know? So I'm like, it'll just breeze by. That freaking strike started on a Tuesday morning and like Wednesday at like 11 a.m. I remember being like, uh oh, <laughs> like, <laughs> this is going to go slow. The phone's not ringing emails are not coming. (laughs) So yeah, I was able to write, um, a feature. Yes. And kind of work a little bit on this TV pilot and stuff that I'm just kind of messing with. So.
0: And can you talk about uh, what you're doing now that the strike is over? Um, if you can't, probably
1: not in a lot of detail.
0: Okay. That's fine. Um,
1: Watch this space. (laughs) 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 No, we'll see. I don't know. It's very funny. Like TV-wise, I'm really excited for, for next year and what I'm hoping to develop and take out and pitch and stuff. But features is always funny because you're like, yeah, I'm doing all these things. And then people will be like, oh, where can I watch them? And I'm like, oh, yeah. no, sorry. Movies take a really long time. No, you, you can't watch any of them. <laughs> they're not out. They're they're not movies yet. Um, what?
0: Um, I, And we maybe talked about this in the quick interview before we did the read, which yeah. I can't remember at all. But so Salmon Retrograde, mm-hmm. what sort of happened with it? How did it end up here? on The process. Um,
1: Yeah. So I had a pilot script because like we talked about, I specced this idea. Um, I had worked with my wonderful manager and kind of rewrote it and worked on it for a while. Um, And then we took it to party over here so they and were
0: which is, and party over here is is
1: the Lonely Island guys they um Yarma Kiva and Andy Samberg. Um, and party over here was great. um I worked with Ali Bell and Bree over there and they were just amazing. and you know, they loved the script, didn't really have me rewrite it. Um, we just worked on the pitch and um, ended up pitching it to CBS Studios and they wanted to do it, which was great. So we made a deal with them. Um, and then we shortly after that got, um, Bert and Bertie to attach as directors. They're like an amazing female directing duo. I believe they're like kind of working, um, on their own stuff separately now, but at the time, uh, they were doing stuff together. So they directed a movie that I loved called Troop Zero. Um, that was really great and well done. And then in TV, they had done, um, you know, The Great and Kidding and, they were about to do a block of episodes of Hawkeye. So we were thrilled, obviously, that they wanted to attach to do it. They were really cool and supportive. And I did kind of a pass of the script um, with them involved with some of their feedback. And then we really like, um, you know, I wrote this in the spring of 2020. You know, they attached the beginning of 2021. um, And then we had like a two week window in June of 2021 to pitch it with them because they were like had ended Hawkeye and then they had like two weeks and they were about to start shooting um, our flag means death, which is like, I love that show. And it's just (laughs) so, so good and silly and weird. You know why I would like that show. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so we had like a two week window to pitch it with them so we took it out and so it was, yeah, it was, it was party over here and CBS studios and the Berts, and me and this script and we took it out and we pitched it all over the place. And, you know, we got like really close at a couple places, but it just didn't materialize. And I think it's like, uh, you know. There's several reasons for that. Like first of all, obviously, like summer of 2021, like yes, COVID, like was we weren't in the throes of it, but it was like it everyone wasn't had over. Yeah, just been vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Like the buying market was crazy. I also think, you know, there was this shift, as there is every five or so years, of away from this sort of dramedy, auteur, like the the flea bag world was kind of over and i think everybody was looking for the next Shits creek ted lasso kind of the feel-good shows which are which are great shows just very different you know um right. so and and i also think like a lot of people were not sure about a grief comedy um a because obviously like covid was like not that funny <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, this is either bad for us or really good for us. Um, So I think people didn't want to do a grief comedy, um, which then I laughed about because then like shrinking came out and then life and Beth came out. And it was just like, they just don't want to do my grief comedy, (laughs) which is totally fair. Um, So I think the timing was, was unfortunate for us because everybody was so great and supportive, but I also feel like, you know, I'm like a realist through and through of like, I can give you a million reasons why we didn't sell this show you know, if people loved it, if someone really like got it and loved it and thought it was amazing, they would have bought it, you know? So I think they just, it wasn't good enough for what they were looking for or what they were hoping for or whatever, you know? So, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It was very sad as it always is when a project dies. Um, I think especially, like, I never think that anything's going to materialize. And for some reason it is, it is the Ted Lasso quote. It's the hope that kills you. This (laughs) project, I like kept telling everyone, I'm like, well, I'm never going to sell this show. It's never going to be a show. There was a part of me internally that was like, this is going to happen. Like I,
0: you had had some really great elements. No, you just had a lot. I know. I know. And like,
1: we had, we had, all the makings for it to be something cool. And it just didn't, didn't materialize. So, you know, I think all, all this stuff like breaks your heart in a million ways, but I always, you know, have a good cry in the shower. Um, I give myself one day to be sad, which is pretty strict.
0: That's pretty strict.
1: Um, you know, when I saw when I saw the promo for um, The Good Place and I had one week earlier finished a pilot called A Better Place. Similarly, when Girls came out and I had written my senior thesis was a show about a group of four girls in L.A. who smoked weed and had sex. And it was called Girls. Um, I, sim- I, just, I give myself now just one day to be sad and to cry in my shower And then the next day you got to get up and you got to sit down at the computer and you have to like, get back to it. Cause I think, um, as much as it sounds insane, like, I do think I have really like lofty career goals, you know, (laughs) I want to be a showrunner and a show creator and I run and write movies and do all this stuff. And I think I've really realized that like, in order to actually get all of those things, the amount of like hustle and work you have to do is like, I don't know. I don't feel like I can take five days and be sad. I'm like, I'm, I would rather take one day and then not be, you know, four or five days behind. I don't know. Um,
0: it's an incredible attitude because it is, I mean, I don't, I don't know
1: if it's a healthy attitude, I think, but well, I
0: don't know. I mean, it's healthy. It's just like like it's, a
1: therapist would be like, something's wrong with you. Right.
0: You're, you're not actually working through this. You're just sort right. of,
1: you're just barreling forward.
0: <laughs> but you know, the, the people that succeed in this business are the people that just do just get themselves, dust themselves off and just yeah. keep, keep trying. Yeah. Like, you know, um,
1: I mean, I think we, it's that thing too. It's like, I try to explain to some of my friends, even like back home and stuff, you know, cause everyone's always like, are you applying to write on whatever show? And I'm like, that's, <laughs> that's not how that works. Um, yeah, no, I'm applying. My resume is out there. My resume that I've updated in the last <laughs> 15 years is totally out there. Um, but I do think it's like hard for people to understand like how many no's you get in this industry, you know? And I get that every no is a step closer to a yes or whatever. But, you know, when I tell people, I'm like, oh yeah, like you could get like 50 no's in a year, 60 no's in a year. They're like, oh, well, that's, I'm like, I don't mean like no, a soft pass. Like I'm talking about like 50 times for your dreams to come true <laughs> that you will feel like shit about when you get the no. Um But usually I let them roll off my back. I do think like there's say once every 50 or once every 25 or something, I will like have a day where I'm like, I'm going to have a strong beverage and cry in my shower. And then again, just get, get back to it. (laughs) Put your big girl pants on, you know, it's not for the faint of heart this career. It's really not.
0: I think if anyone takes away anything, who's like not in the business yet wants to be like, it is not for the faint of heart, but it's not it It's amazing. Be, like, you love I, it, right? I mean, yeah, it's just I like you, love it. Yeah,
1: I'm so obsessed with it. I love writing. I love our whole industry. I love living in L.A. Like I like land back in L.A. from places and I'm just like, look at look at this place. Look how great it is. Like, I, I love every aspect of it, but it's definitely not um, not easy. But I think that like also makes it better. Like, I do feel like I'm one of those people where I'm like, I hope that you know, to have great success in the future and do all this great stuff. And I do think that all of those milestones and things will feel so much sweeter because of the heartbreak that I've gone through or we've all gone through to get it. You know what I mean? I think if I were to have gotten everything that I wanted my first shot out, like we all expect to and think we're going to and, you know. All that uh, I don't know that I would appreciate it as much as now.
0: So yeah, well, I expect huge things <laughs> from from you. I, I know I know they're they're coming. I have no doubt.
1: Thank you. Um, we'll see. Why I wanted to get
0: you on the show while I, while I still could.
1: Right? While you're like oh my gosh!
0: Big for us. <laughs> um, well, this was great. It's great to see you.
1: So uh, great to see you. I mean, I do feel like. You were just my picket buddy for so long, you know, that it's like weird again, to see you on a screen and not in front of me <laughs> in front All of my right. person. <laughs> we'll
0: make something happen in person very soon. Yes. Strike Thank you no so strike. much
1: for having me on and for doing salmon retrograde and, and doing that table read. It was so, so fun to hear it out loud and with people. And it just, you know, gave me great nostalgic feelings for that show. And I hope that in the future it, I say it has like a life after death. I will say hopefully it has an afterlife.
0: Yeah. Because Which, even though you don't believe in that, but for right. this, you believe in it for scripts, just not for I believe people. in
1: it for this.
0: <laughs> Intangible
1: so scientifically proved ways. No, okay.
0: <laughs> I hope so too. All right, Sam, great to see you.
1: Great to see you too. Thank you so much.
0: I hope you enjoyed that. We will be back next month with a great pilot by Vali Chandra Sekharan. Dead Pilot Society is produced by me and my co-producer, Ben Blacker, and our associate producer, Noah Finling. It is edited and mixed by Jordan Katz. If you like this show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps. What helps even more is telling just one friend about this podcast. If you liked it, tell someone. You can follow us on social media. Find out all the latest. Until next time, be kind to yourself and for God's sake, be kind to others. I'm Andrew Reich. Thank you for listening. Maximum Fun,
1: a worker owned network
0: of artist owned shows, supported directly
1: by you.